on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. If anybody has seen Manny Pacquiao shoot a jump shot... That's where that's where he <laughs> lost me. Manny Pacquiao lost me. I think it was around the Floyd Mayweather fight, I believe, where he casually went to a basketball court. And guys, I'm going to just give this out, this PSA out to all guys out there. You want to casually shoot around and your jump shot looks wild. Don't do it. I just I would just say don't do it. It ain't for everybody because that's the only thing I think of every time I hear Manny Pacquiao's name. I think of him on that court shooting those shots, and it I, I'm scarred from it. So he's one of the best. There's no question, you know. But leave the basketballs alone. That's all I'm going to say. As you retire, go into golf. Do what all the other athletes do. You got to leave the basketball alone. I'm sorry. Last week, a sit-down interview between Draymond Green and Kevin Durant, the sports media and NBA media space by storm, as they detailed uh, the events after the two had an argument back in 2018 during a regular season game against the Clippers. Uh, What's notable here is that Draymond and KD essentially lightly pushed coach Steve Kerr, GM Bob Myers, under the bus for how that was handled uh, Katie is quoted as saying, quote, it wasn't the argument. It was the way that everybody, Steve Kerr, acted like it didn't happen. Bob Myers tried to just discipline you, Draymond Green, and think that it, that would put a mask over everything. There's no doubt that um, Steve and Bob Myers are going to be asked about this when the season starts. So the question is here, as players continue to take their message directly to fans through outlets like the Players' Tribune, and any number of podcasts and streams. How do teams deal with this as it comes up, as as criticism uh, towards teams begins to get aired by players in forums that teams are just going to be ambushed by? Yeah, well, first of all, you got to be about your business nowadays, you know, in a sense of like, you know, there's the athlete side of it, but there's the business side of it. And Mm -hmm. so... You know, as far as business, the Golden State Warriors have to be in shambles over there just because that's not something that's going to, like you said, there are going to be questions once the season starts. And when I say in shambles, no, I don't mean the program's tearing down, but this is a real issue that has to be addressed. Not even the issue of just KD and Draymond, but now there's a a systematic issue like, well, when we do have problems now, what do we have to do? And so I think about it from that point of view, but for me... I'm excited that the players have somewhere that they can voice their opinions. Look, we watched Malice in the Palace. We all saw it. Players didn't have an avenue to voice their side of the story when it came to the Malice in the Palace. And we saw what the media did when they had all the right to just roll with it. So I do understand that there's like the great parts about it. You see athletes announcing their retirement. Uh, Hello, somebody. It's me. I'm that athlete. You see athletes announcing their trade. J.J. Watt announced what new team he was going to be on via his social media Now you see things like this, and I think it's exciting because 
players need to have a voice. Players need to have that direct connection to the brands, to the fans. And in the same breath, though, boy, oh boy, do a lot of organizations yes. have to be a little bit nervous now. Of course. We got one tell-all player to player from Golden State. What if, you know, the Bulls are like, oh, gosh, I hope that so-and-so don't do that. Or Toronto's like, yeah, you know, now it starts to open up that, well, what if our players start to do tell-alls? You're an owner now. Yeah. Um, so this is something that you're going to have to deal with uh, p- potentially in some form or fashion in the coming years. But, like, as from a team perspective, what can you even do? I suppose that there are. You know, just as there are uh, morality clauses in in uh, contracts, there might be something in there that's like discussing team business, uh, critiquing the team uh, on a personal platform uh, is frowned upon, yada, 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 whatever the legalese language is. But then again, this is an incident from three years ago like that even if you put even if you put something in that said hey please do not discuss uh team issues team business on your personal platform during the season that wouldn't cover this because this is not even you know draymond could just say this ain't the team anymore katie's not on the team anymore this is not the team and that's where it gets tricky because like at the end of the day we know that there's the player handbook and that's the rules aside from the WNBA rules that each team wants to implement is how many fines you're going to get for this and what you're going to get for that so it's like the playbook the rule book that tells you basically how to behave Yes, there's moral clauses in there. There's all those other things. But you can't stop players from talking. You know what I mean? Like, yes, if yeah. if you put that current season, that's all well and good. And, you know, the fact that it's three seasons later, I do think took a little bit of the heat off of it. Because had this tell-all came out after the championship season, imagine, you know, imagine the media whirlwind. So they're definitely lost some steam because of the years that had passed, but you can't really do much. So for me, you know, you talk about like being a part of an ownership group here at the Atlanta dream. Well, that only means to me that we got to be on our P's and Q's. And I say this all the time, like the way we do business, whatever decisions we make, because sports is a business and people have to understand that friends get traded, players, best friends get traded, coaches get fired. That could be close to the GMs. Like it's a business. It happens. Yeah. You can do business and you can do business the right way. So it's not going to always be nicey-nicey and it's not going to always be great in a sense of, man, we really love that player. We hate to see them go, but they're not a good fit for us. That's a real reality in sports. But now you got to just make sure you're doing things the right way because players will talk about it if you want. Because if a player talks about our organization and I know we did things the right way by the book and they're just upset because they didn't want to get traded, it sucks. But you can handle that because – no one really yeah. wants to get traded unless they want to get traded. And and so it's a part of reality. But when it comes to if you're doing things the right way, that's what when it starts to, to really get fugazi. Yeah, the thing that I've been uh, really fascinated with, with regards to the story and with regards to just like the way things are changing, particularly in the W and in the NBA, uh, is what it means for the so-called player empowerment era. Like you're really seeing a time now where, you know, Bob Myers is the GM of one of the flagship teams in sports and had no idea that this was coming. Steve Kerr had no idea. They just 
legitimately part of their jobs now is somebody go listen to that podcast that Draymond's doing. Somebody go listen to the podcast that JJ Reddick's doing. And that's crazy. Somebody go listen to all the smoke, please. And let me know if there's anything on there that I need to respond to. Like that is now part of your daily content ingestion if you are a GM slash coach at that level. And that's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. And you just brought up JJ Reddick's podcast. You yeah. need to talk about that because that podcast is so in tune with the NBA that it's almost a step further than just we need to know what they're saying. It's almost like we need to know how to deal with it. Absolutely. That, so that is the one that, you know, player empowerment, it's like it's very sexy to talk about stars. Um, and, of course, like Draymond Green, Kevin Durant. James Harden, where they want to go, the things they want to do. Those are stories that that move the needle, and everybody understands those. To me, it was like J.J. Reddick's war of words with David Griffin, GM of the, of the Pelicans. That is the one that, to me, is a real measure of how far uh, this movement has really gone because J.J., like, basically called out David Griffin for uh, for the way he communicated with him during a time when he was hoping to be traded to an Eastern Conference team in the Northeast to be close to his family. That didn't happen. He kind of aired out David Griffin and then mentioned his agency, CAA. He's at the same agency as Zion Williamson. The subtext was very clear. Uh-huh. It was like, watch how you deal with players because they will talk. And you know, fast forward to now, free agency, the Pelicans had a terrible free agency. David Griffin, by all reports, is like on the hot seat. And essentially, like David Griffin, the lead executive for one of the 30 NBA teams, has lost a war of words with J.J. Redick, who no shots, like is not a star player, is basically a, a career role player, veteran in the NBA, not a Kevin Durant level, not a James Harden level, like that you would even have to watch your P's and Q's with players who formerly were outside of like the spotlight yeah. is a measure of what the situation is right now in these leagues. No, and you know, that's interesting you say that because since the beginning of the history of life of sports, of course you always yeah. cater to the superstar. Like to, to your point. Everybody knows. Everybody that. knows that you cater to the superstar, but then you have, to your point, a J.J. Redick who... He's a guy that's a great role player. You want him on your team. But also, too, now, you need to be careful. GMs, owners, like not necessarily owners, but GMs and and the coaches because they're watching and players are talking. And your superstars have big platforms, but there's also these media platforms now where J.J. Redick has a huge media platform. There's no other way to put it. He has a very huge media platform, and he's using it to to basically the uh, like the player empowerment benefit in the sense of players are coming on and telling all their stories whether the good the bad and yes. the ugly and I think that that's really awesome for sports because you get to hear the inside on what athletes deal with and sometimes it's not great for the management but I think it's great for sports because a lot of times people don't know just everything that athletes go through, whether it's a midseason trade, waking up to find out that you're not going to that Northeastern team yeah. because you got traded somewhere else. Like, those are big blows. I was traded midseason. Those are big blows. It's a part of sports. But I do like that these stories are getting heard. As as an owner, like, has it, has it happened yet where, like, y- y'all are talking about a player and you're like, well— 
uh, just FYI, they have a podcast. So let's, ah, uh, you know, that be aware of that. Never like, happened. It just, it, like it, it seems like, you know, that's just a thing. Like you got to be aware of now. Like does this person have a podcast? Do they have a stream? No, a I mean, that's show? a great like, question, Jason, because we don't have podcasters on our team yet. You know, like, and honestly, <laughs> <it's soon. laughs> I, but honestly, I want that. Like I want our players to yeah. be because with the WNBA, we know we're not there yet making the money where you can just retire from the WNBA and retire period in life. Like we know that when you retire from the WNBA, you're going to have to have a second career because the price point, the salaries, it's just not there yet. So I'm I'm one of those probably, I know probably the other owners and other management, when they hear this, they're going to be rolling their eyes at me. But I <laughs> am under the impression that I would love to have as many podcasters on our team as possible. Bring me the TikTokers. Bring me the vloggers. Bring me the influencers because that builds the team brand as well as their brand. And then with all of those brand building things happening, here comes sponsorships and other brands. And that's just me being transparent. That's a great point. There's a give and take. But if I if we start to that's get like, point. I want the hoopers first, of course. But if those right. hoopers are doing those other things, of course, I want them. I know a lot of people, though. That's why I know that this is an unpopular opinion, though, for some sports brands. They would rather let their company basically like we'll handle getting the brands and the companies but we yeah. don't want i love that people can know your player like if people know yeah. a player on the atlanta dream they love her they love her tiktoks well every time she's on they're probably gonna watch they're probably gonna engage and so for me i think that everybody can win i'm always about the everybody can win so i want that i mean listen i think it's whenever uh young people ask me like, Oh, how do I get like into media? How do I get, how do I become a writer? How do I get into sports stuff? I'm like, man, what's your social media? Like, like get on yep. that because that is advertising for you. That's your resume. That's your resume. Every time that if someone wants to find out about you, where's the first place they're going to go? It's super important. I wouldn't have a job without, without Twitter and social media. And I think it's a tremendous tool for people to establish a public face of who they are and to like bypass traditional gatekeepers. Like I wouldn't, you know, I didn't go to journalism school. I didn't go to one of those programs. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fact that somebody saw my Twitter and was like, this person is, I guess, pretty funny and uh, writes about sports in a funny way. Wait, Jason, That's hold just, on. We, it, that is kind of crazy. How is that like? Yeah. Have you ever stopped to think about you? I was like, just literally... I was just tweeting. I was I was working. I was like a delivery guy. Wow. I was delivering a uh, leather, and then I started my Twitter account just to kind of like follow um, local beat writers so that I could set my fantasy teams. You know, because like back then, this is like 2010, 11. There weren't like all in one fantasy sites with news that updated the rosters on their own. You had to go in and be like, okay, this person is injured or not playing or whatever, and then it's set in your lineup. So then I started doing that, and then I just started like tweeting at various beat writers when they would say something. I started tweeting during games, and it just took off for whatever reason. It just that's took off. That's pretty dope, and, though. Like honestly, that's, yeah. Like I didn't even know that backstory. Everybody, we get to know each other every week as well yeah. as y'all do, but. That's pretty, that's got to be some amazing tweets. Come on now. I mean, and I follow, if y'all don't follow Jason, you need to follow Jason because I, I enjoy following Jason when things are happening live. I enjoy seeing Jason's opinion about things that have passed because he does this interesting thing where you cross 
the sports and the culture very well in your references for your tweet. So that is not that is a plug that he did not ask for, but I it's a good follow. You <laughs> I are appreciate a good follow, that so, so I can see nice. how you got a job. You're a great follow. So that's there's that. I knew that it was I knew that there was a thing happening when I so I was working that job. I was like delivering leather for a leather company. Leather. And yeah, and they were like, uh, hey, we're gonna start some social media stuff like you're on Twitter. Do you, can you help us start, set up our Twitter account? I was like, yeah. So I helped them. Uh, I showed them how to set up the Twitter account. And they were like, let's follow. We can follow you. Like, what's your Twitter account? And I gave them my Twitter account. They're like, why do you have 30,000 followers? Oh, my gosh. More than the company. <laughs> yeah, more than. Why do you have more? Why do you have more followers in the company? And I was like, I don't know, because I'm back in the back room, like packing up orders and then tweeting like every <laughs> every 10 minutes. That's crazy. Yeah, so that's when I knew that maybe something happened. And to that point, so imagine you're the player, right? And the company is, yeah, is the sports team. So imagine now you have all this power. Like think about the company now. If you're a disgruntled employee and you want to sound off about your company, yeah, that could be a scary thought for, for them because now you have the power because – you have connection directly to the consumer, to the fans. And that's basically exactly what's happening in sports right now. The teams are honestly losing a certain level of power. And I like for me, that's why I said for somebody like me, I don't really care about that because I feel like, oh, wow, the power is getting dispersed. So I kind of like yeah. that now there's not a stronghold on it. But yeah, that's it. That's the exact thing that's happening in the sports leagues right now. In a sense, it's really just like a more equitable rebalancing of the exactly. power. The players were always the players have always been the product. Nobody tunes in to watch the GM run around and and take threes. Right. So really this is this is a recalibration of what has kind of always existed, uh, but now in a more equitable way that is truly affecting the way players move and the way that executives deal with their players. It's wild. I have to mention my man Manny Pacquiao. Lightly my man. After what? a unanimous decision lost to your Dennis Ugas over the weekend, Manny Pacquiao may have entered the ring for the last time as a pro. The 42-year-old fighter who is heavily rumored to be running for president of the Philippines very soon said after the fight, quote, I need to relax and make a decision. Already one of the greatest boxers of all time with titles in a record eight weight classes, which is wow. crazy. His supporters and detractors alike must now Wait to see what will happen next. Uh, listen, I decry a lot of Manny Pacquiao's views, but like, there's no doubt in terms of I'm a Filipino American. He put us on the map. Nobody really knew who we were like as a nation, as a diaspora until Manny Pacquiao. When I was a kid, it was just like you were Chinese. I grew up in a white area. You were like Chinese, maybe Japanese. Nobody knew what Filipino was. Manny Pacquiao change that uh so it really really sad to see him go out but this happens to every fighter and if he runs for president i mean the political situation over there is uh, intense and dangerous a lot of the time so i mean it it's that is a real decision that you actually can't take lightly. Uh, Pablo Torre from ESPN had a great podcast with Tim Keown uh, recently about it. And people around Manny are like worried if he goes home that he could face threats to his life. Like that's wow. legit. That's how it, that's how it, that's a lot of times how it works there. There are during election season, there are shootings, assassinations that happens. So 
it's dangerous and i and i i wish him the best it is a it is a wild a truly wild thing and maybe now when i walk into uh barber shops in new york city uh, dudes will stop saying Pacquiao now that as he fades not. because if he's I don't retired, think I don't you're think definitely I, him now just casually walking around the street. <laughs> it's gonna get worse, Jason. I don't think I look like him, but you don't. There's you a do lot not of places I've walked like in. Him. I I've been in so many places. The most recent was like the last time I was in New Orleans. I was at a restaurant and dudes started coming out the back. <laughs> It's always the dudes in the back because they, you know, often come from, you know, fight cultures and they start coming out the back and looking at me. And I'm like, oh, I know what this is. And then <laughs> one would come out and then one would come out with another one and be like, look, see there. And then finally they came up and were like, Pacquiao, you look like Pacquiao. And I'm like, OK, I don't think I look like him, but I thank you. <laughs> no, you're Filipino and he's Filipino. And that's the connection I there. I actually got introduced to the Filipino culture young because I had a basketball coach, my head basketball coach in AAU when I was young. I love basketball. Shouts to Oscar Ibrahim. That was my basketball coach. Aisha was his daughter who played on my team as well. But, you know, that's a real thing that you're starting to see. Pacquiao, you, you know, this athlete activism or athletes in politics, like every turn yeah. now you see more and more athletes getting involved in different things. And even with a Pacquiao, like possibly running for president, like that's... It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, and I, I, I love it all in once in a sense of he's a name that people probably could get behind. Like everything that it could do, a name I mean, that somebody thing, could get yeah. behind. You could change a culture. You could change politics. You could change a lot. But again, it's dangerous. I have to say, though, my only gripe, I mean, amongst there's there's other things. But if anybody has seen Manny Pacquiao shoot a jump shot. That's where that's where he <laughs> lost me. Manny Pacquiao lost me. I think it was around the Floyd Mayweather fight, I believe, where he casually went to a basketball court. And guys, I'm going to just give this out, this PSA out to all guys out there. Girls, it doesn't really matter. You know, women, We if we want to try it, we can try it. But if you're a guy and you go out there and you want to casually shoot around and your jump shot looks wild, don't do it. I just I would just say don't do it. It ain't for everybody because that's the only thing I think of every time I hear Manny Pacquiao's name. I think of him on that court shooting those shots and it I, I'm scarred from it. So, I mean, I wish him the best on his retirement. Amazing career like he said he I mean, his career He's one of the best. There's no question, you know, 63, 8, 2, 39 knockouts. Yeah. He has it all. Pretty like, crazy. you know, he has that career, but leave the basketballs alone. That's all I'm going to say. As you retire, <laughs> go into golf, do what all the other athletes do. You got to leave the basketball alone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you got to do he it. He was, uh, I mean, Filipinos love basketball. It's by far the most popular sport. Uh, it's ironic because, uh, you know, uh, we're a, a nation that is, a let's just say, a, a bit lower in the average height. Uh, range Just so a little uh, bit. it's interesting because over there culturally wild layups are like the thing because everybody's smaller right <laughs> so like artistic and like wild layups where you're just like <laughs> doing all sorts oh. of stuff like that is the height that's the height of like basketball artistry if you have just like a crazy like signature layup so filipinos should be huge fans of the wnba i'm just now now i'm about to yeah. get mad jason because we <laughs> specialize in wild layups what are we talking about here <laughs> that's, right. that's what we do have y'all ever heard of angel mccotry she does the most acrobatic layups like what are we talking about here crazy 
on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. is officially getting the gold treatment baby that's right we have olympic gold medalist in freestyle wrestling tamira mensa stock out here with us right now you probably saw her from her viral and incredible post-match press conference a few weeks ago not to mention she's a pioneer in the sports world becoming the first black female wrestler to capture gold in the olympics Tamira Mensa Stock, welcome to Take Line. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> okay, so wait, first things first, where's the gold medal? I thought that you guys have to like wear it everywhere around. Like, if you don't have it, it's fine. But if I thought that, you know, the flex. Yeah. I do I do have it. It's actually directly in front of me in my suitcase. <laughs> so I just came. I just came. <laughs> I just came from WWE SummerSlam, and so what? I took it to SummerSlam. <laughs> That's crazy. Do you just wear? Do you ever just like wear it around the house? Do you ever just like put it on? No, it sits in its case. I'm glad you told the truth because I don't wear championship rings ever. Just just so people understand, that's not really like my championship rings. I've probably worn them probably twice, and that was like because I had to. They told me wear them to this event. So she was actually telling the truth, I think. Like, people don't really wear their jewelry around, do they? Not, not, nobody that I know. Like, unless, <laughs> unless I'm told to. Unless they're like, hey, what? you really should, we <laughs> highly recommend you bring this. Yes! Like, yeah. Where is it? What is your, what is your daily relationship with the metal? Like, do you, like, just how do you engage with, do you look at it? Do you just like, do you <laughs> sit and stare at it for a few minutes every day? My daily relationship with the metal goes like this. It sits in its case, and I don't remember where I put it. (laughs) The real. This is, I like that. That's real. Because, I mean, when y'all see athletes parading around, and the media probably asked them to wear it. I mean, that's just a real reality. Like, I don't, I'm glad that you said it. Okay, Tamir, I'm glad that you said that. I had to say it because I'm not one of those people. But at the same time, my husband did create a trophy room for me in our last house. And okay, I know it was, it was incredible. Yeah. And then we moved and now we don't have any room for a trophy room. And now I just look at all my trophies and accolades and I go, oh, well, they're just sitting in the garage right now. <laughs> oh, no. Well, listen, you struck gold twice. OK, but because yes. you not only won the competition, But your interview went, it went viral. I was watching it live. And honestly, I feel like I know you. It was amazing. I I feel like I know you. I want to root for you. I'm cheering for you and the hubby and all of that. So what has the media attention been like, you know, post-Olympics? Honestly, kind of like my everyday life. Just a lot of talking. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) If I'm being honest, it's just talking with people on my cell phone. And that's pretty much what I do anyways, just in person. It hasn't really 
I don't know if it's really like changed who I am, but it, it hasn't struck me as anything new. It's just something that I'm used to. I feel like I've been preparing for this since I was born because I've always been somebody who's been extremely social. So it's kind of right up my alley, honestly. Uh, you began your your gold medal run with a total domination of the then gold medal winner. What did that feel like? And at that moment, did you feel like, oh, I'm I'm on a run right now. I'm about to start something. I honestly felt bad because I <laughs> oh did not I, I did not mean to do her like that, but I had a goal. And when I was done, I was like, did that just finish that fact? Did I really just do that? <laughs> I am so sorry. I can't. I, I felt bad. There was no like, oh, I got this. Yeah. Like on to the next match. That's interesting, though. I mean, that I, yeah. because usually you get to that stage and we, you know, you talk to athletes and they want to dominate. They want that. But you got there. And when you did dominate, you felt bad. But, you know, you said something earlier that you're social and that, you know, you have that personality type. And you're from a small town in Texas. And I'm from a pretty small town in West Virginia. So for those who don't know, but how does a young black woman first yeah. get into wrestling in such a small town? Because I think that has to do with why you don't feel great dominating because small town vibes is everybody's friendly. Everybody's enjoying each other. So you don't seem like you were loving the domination. Even when he's, when Jason said you dominated, you kind of cringed. I watched you. You like, you were like, oh, <laughs> did he just say I dominated her? It was like, you didn't even what? enjoy it. <laughs> okay okay i will say like it's it's great dominating my opponents right because like, i like yeah. to like enforce my will on people but at the same time it's scary when i do it it's like an out-of-body experience like i feel like god is just mm -hmm. like all right a force of nature and i'm like whoa was it really oh like that <laughs> and um so i grew up in the houston area and you know houston's pretty big and then we we moved yeah. to katie which was a small town and i felt like that was definitely more my vibes because like i felt like i know so, i knew so many people at my school but get this renee my graduating class had over 800 people so not entirely small okay. town yeah <laughs> no that's not small town you can't come with the small town yeah. vibes anymore for me then because i'm from the country <laughs> country okay <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. i was like mm, oh like <laughs> small town city baby <laughs> but so, yeah no so obviously uh, uh 2020 has been challenging uh, for everyone. And I would imagine as a, as an Olympic level athlete has been challenging. Could you t take us through your daily routine training, et cetera? How did you, how did you manage to, to get up for this? Are you talking about in 2020 when we weren't allowed to do anything? <laughs> yes. Yes. How did you stay fit? How did you stay in the, how did you stay in it? Uh, how did I stay fit? Now I gotta be honest. I I uh I gained a lot of weight. So in oh terms my of, God. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love this. Give I love us it. the real. I love it. Please. <laughs> in terms of kilos, my weight class is sixty eight kilos, and I already walk mm -hmm. around at like seventy one kilos. But during the pandemic. I got up to 82 kilos and wow. I'll just leave people to do the math in that. And I still look good. I didn't care. Oh no, you look great. Boo -boo. <laughs> Don't let them tell you nothing now. Yeah. I was saying, wow, yeah. because that's a difference yeah. in classes. 
It, 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 there's no <laughs> class for that. There, there is no class for where where I reached. There was no class. But at the same time, like even though I reached that, like get this, even though I reached that level, I still worked out every other day. Like me and my husband, we were doing yoga together. I was doing Zoom classes with kids all around the country where I like guided them in Zumba, yoga, and weightlifting. Oh, wow. So I was I was being active. So it was a it was a you know it was a healthy healthy weight that I was at. Like I wasn't just yeah. doing nothing, but I was having yeah. fun. I wasn't caring about my weight at all because I didn't know when we were going to wrestle. I knew we were going to wrestle. Yeah. Just didn't know when. So I stayed active and I had fun. Like me and my husband would like go on a run every now and then, but we were also traveling. Like I went to see my family five times. I usually only see them once a year. So the fact that mm. I got to see them for birthdays, graduations and holiday, I was yeah. like, Hey, thank yeah. You. Much needed break. <laughs> I'm oh, not girl, complaining. No, no one's complaining. That's happy weight. I kind of did the opposite. So I, when I stopped doing all my intense working out, I actually got skinny. So everybody that sees me now, they're like, oh, girl, you skinny. Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm just happy. I'm just not drinking shakes and everything. But you talked about that you were working with younger kids and you were doing Zooms. And it made me think about something because there's only two Two, I believe, Division One women's wrestling programs. And so what do you think would take to help grow the sport and get more programs at the D1 level? Because two just, I like, it feels like that has to be a typo, yeah. but two D1 women's wrestling programs? I didn't even know it was two. I thought it was one. So, oh my God. I, I'm like, oh, snap, we moved up. We moved up to two. Good news. You got another one. That's oh awesome. That, that is good to hear. So I, I honestly don't know what it would take, but I feel like I, so I, one of my dreams is to be a D1 women's college coach. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to build my resume. I'm trying to build my yeah. legacy. That way, when I go to a place like Texas Tech or Texas an A&M, wherever, and I tell them, hey, I would like to start a program, it would be extremely hard for them to deny me. So in terms of that, I feel like I just want to go up to programs to, so that they don't deny me. But I honestly don't know what it will take. I just... Honestly, maybe more people like me just bringing awareness to the fact that, hey, there's wrestlers out there and we need a place to wrestle. These females, wow. there's D1 schools all over the nation that have men wrestling. All they have to do is allow women to use the women's locker room and then we can have the program. Like, cause is they already have mats. That's simple. And yeah, that's, that's like, all it is. is. Like, so it's that's that my opinion. Simple. Uh, no, your opinion is valid. And we talk about NCAA. I mean, and we talk about Title IX. I mean, it's a valid thing to think that if there's already a program there and it's just a locker room thing, I would have to believe that we will see you being a Division One coach in the near future. When you're ready, I would yeah. have to believe that that that's the truth. Like that will happen. I'm speaking it. I'm I'm speaking it too. I, I'm uh, just so intrigued by your your journey and i one of the things that i'm super interested in is like how did how did what are you looking at is there something back which which one of our backgrounds i, I was looking at uh yours jason seeing uh what comics you had if there was any anime in there oh, wow. <laughs> oh no anime no i am just beginning my anime journey my my like my gateway drug was avatar the last airbender that's what's that's what <laughs> so 
cut an anime that was made in America, but I can I see know. it. <laughs> but this, I'm talking about the style, the style. And so that's what's getting the style. And so that's what's getting me into it. And then, um, you know, like I watched Akira and like, but like I, I never like pursued it. Hey, I um, haven't even watched Akira. So you're, you're, you've already got one on me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you, how did you get, like, what was it about wrestling that, that drew you in? Uh, the aggressiveness of it. Like it, that's also mm-hmm. what drew me out too. Cause I did not appreciate the fact that people were so mean, not mean, but just aggressive when it, when it, when it, when it came to practice. And, uh, I didn't appreciate like how people were putting their sweat on me. I felt like that I had saliva on me as well. And it was just so touchy feely. I, I just, I know, like, you, you see how you said, Ugh. imagine somebody in track and field who wore hoops, did their makeup before practice all the time. And the only contact that they would really have with their teammates is passing the baton. So maybe like a finger touch and a hug, right. of course. Yeah. It went from that to wrestling. And I wanted to quit. I, I wanted to quit within the, the, like the first day, the first month. But my twin had told me to hang in there because she was the reason why I actually joined the sport. She's, she started initially. And um, after my first match uh, at a dual meet at my school at Morton Ranch, I pinned the girl dang near as quick as we had started. And I was like, I could get used to this. That was actually kind of fun. <laughs> 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 so I, it's, it's kind of weird. Like I'm nice, but then I know how to turn that switch on to be mean. And I like that I can turn that switch on and then turn it off immediately because I don't want to be like that all the time. Of course. I mean, that's that's basically you just described being an athlete, you know, like some athletes are that person, their ego that they are on the court. But a lot of athletes. Yeah, you turn on this persona because you need to be that. Now, I have to one of the biggest storylines of the Olympics was your love of karaoke. I love karaoke, so we're going to ask you to do a first one take on. I hear you clearing the throat. Yeah, get ready, baby. Yeah. It's going to be time to sing some karaoke. We're going to cue up some Evanescence. I, I heard that that's your jam. And we're going to introduce your voice to the world. Are you ready? Oh, do I, don't I get a warm-up song? Okay, well, you better want to fa-la-la-la-la. Like what? What you need to warm up? Fa la 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 la. Fa la 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 la. Ready? Now playing. Bring me to life by the gold medalist, the first ever Tamira baby. Bring us to life. Oh yeah. How can you see into my eyes? Like open doors Leading you down into my core But if I beat myself up a score <laughs> My spirit's sleeping somewhere <laughs> Until you Wake me up! Wake me up inside! Wake me up inside! Call my name and save me from the dumb, the dark. Wake me up! Bend my blood to rock. Before I come undone, save me from the nothing I've become. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh, that took me out. That's a, like for that I to know, be your karaoke song. Like that's not an easy karaoke song. It's okay? not. Like, that's, that's why I need the warm yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so good. Well, uh, Tamira, thanks so much for singing with us, for joining us, for joining Take Line. Best of luck at the World Championships in Oslo. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you guys for having me. I greatly appreciate it. That was super fun. I love when I get to see. Yes. I freaking love that. <laughs> On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Jason, on this show, we've made it a point to talk about highlighting underrepresented voices in sports. And one Mm -hmm. of those in those sports world is black WNBA players, you know, representing that voice. What does that look like? Last year, Risa Isard, who is a researcher at UMass, found some stunning results when she and her team looked into how black WNBA players versus white WNBA players are promoted in the media. She's joining us now. Risa, welcome. Hi, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. No, thank you for coming here. So tell me about your study and what prompted you to to even take on this project. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great question. Um, So admittedly, right, I kind of came to this research question um, last summer as, right, our, our nation was in the midst of a racial reckoning. And I was scrolling through Twitter um, as we all do in the midst of pandemics and racial reckonings, I guess. And I came across this tweet um, from an account I don't actually even think I followed. I think the Twitter algorithm just served it up to me um, by Michael McManus. And he had started reflecting on what he was seeing as a pattern of who the media was centering. And really, especially right in this moment of reckoning um, and started having these observations. And he had this like awesome thread and I just read it. And I felt, particularly as a white person, like as a white WNBA fan, this isn't something that admittedly I had known that much about, had seen happening on my own. And I read it and I digested it. And I went throughout the rest of the summer and I started asking myself, do I see this now, right? Once Now that I've learned this, now that someone has brought this to my observation, can I see this happening? And, and it was pretty apparent that this is what was going on. It could not have been more apparent um, when my advisor at UMass sent me an email with an article that uh, was talking about sponsorships in the WNBA and some other things. And somewhere in like the fifth paragraph or whatever, just hidden was this line that was talking about how the WNBA was having its most successful season yet, thanks to, and then it listed like three white players. And I was like, that, that's just like kind of curious, right? Now that I have this in the back of my head, that this is what's happening throughout. And so I, I just shared this reflection. Hey, I've been thinking about this. Here's, you know, I learned about it from this person I read on Twitter, right? What do you think? And so that really kickstarted this research to say, can we quantify? Can we empirically kind of scientifically without a doubt say that that's what's happening? And then what, you know, how does that influence maybe some of these other identities that players have? Um, and really what is the role of race in this disparity? Yeah. Could tell us a little bit about your methodology 
and and the data and what it tells you. Absolutely. Um, so as a team, we had to decide, right, kind of where are we looking for this? How are we looking at it? And so ultimately, we landed on looking at online content from ESPN, CBS Sports, and Sports Illustrated. Um, really notably, ESPN and CBS Sports were the official network partners of the WNBA uh, during the last 2020 season. So they made a lot of sense, right? Sports Illustrated, another kind of mainstream, long-time media outlet. So if you're looking at, like, what are these kind of typical um, dominant platform saying, right? That That's kind of some of the places that you look. And also importantly, right, all three of those platforms, their WNBA content is not behind paywall. So it's all publicly accessible, right? Like if you just Google what's going on, right, you're likely to find content um, from one of those sites. And so we narrowed down to looking at those platforms. Um, and then, you know, this research started because we were really interested in what was happening at a racial level. And we also know, right, from being researchers who study diversity, equity, and inclusion in sports, um, that gender expression matters, sexual orientation matters, right? Like there's some of these other identities mm-hmm. and um, they don't just matter on their own, but they also matter, right, in combination with each other, what we as researchers would call intersectionality. Yeah. And so um, that's what we tried to look at. We were able to measure race on a spectrum. Um, we had a panel of experts who were able to kind of verify our coding, right, saying this is what this player's, you know, race is, that they're presenting as, that we read them as, which is how kind of the world reads them too, Um, So we could identify then who presents as white and who presents as black. Um, We were also able to code their gender expression and kind of, you know, are they publicly out as queer or are they not out, which is also from a media perspective, the same thing as kind of being straight. So we ended up finding that across all players in the WNBA in 2020, black WNBA players received far less, about half as much coverage compared to their white teammates. For black players who had a more masculine gender expression, coverage was even lower Meanwhile, white players who had more masculine gender expressions actually received the most coverage of any players. So it's interesting because there's so many different factors and intersectionality is where the WNBA lives. And so I'm glad you brought that up. And one of the standout findings that you had was about Asia Wilson. And for those that need a reminder, you shouldn't, but she's our reigning WNBA MVP. She's a three-time All-Star, former NCAA champion. She has a statue outside of South Carolina, like just to (laughs) let people understand how big she is in women's sports. But I'm curious how much media attention did she receive? Because I see Asia on a lot of different things, but I'm just curious, where does she like meet when you're talking about a deep dive research? Because she's one of those names that should be all over everything, considering the things I just said. So I'm really curious to hear this. Well, we were really surprised uh, that she received half as much media coverage as Sabrina Ionescu, right? And so, Renee, on top of all the stats, all the accomplishments that you just listed, right, Asia Wilson played the entire WNBA season last year, all the way through all the finals, right, all the way to leading her team to the championship game. Um, Sabrina Ionescu played in three games before having a season-ending injury. And so receiving half the amount of coverage, I I think, is just not at all what you'd expect, and it's certainly not what the MVP deserves. And just to kind of, this is not about Sabrina, just so people, you know, I want to lay things out so that people can understand this deep dive is not about a one particular player. It's not about Asia. You know, it's not about Sabrina. It's about the media and how the media sends a message without sending a message. So I just wanted to kind of lay that out so people understand this isn't a her versus her. This is a we have stars in the league and Asia Wilson who I like, I didn't know that she only received half, but 
For her to be yeah. the reigning MVP, three-time All-Star, she, I mean, even recently, she was a huge part of our Team USA, like, run. So, I mean, I just pretty shocking to hear for me. Yeah, I would agree. And I appreciate you pointing this out. This this isn't like a, a personal thing, right? This person versus that person, right? That's not how race works in this country, right? These are about mm, systems yeah. and these are about layers and it is about narratives and it's about kind of um, where do we see general trends reflected perhaps easily captured exactly. in one place. But this was a trend that uh, took place across every player that played in the league last year. Whenever studies like this are announced on social media, there's always like some amount of the response is always, well, of course, like, you know, this comports with, I think, our general reading of how the world works as as specifically American society is this very white male centered society. What are, you mentioned uh, the layers and the structural underpinnings of this. Like what are the system of incentives and disincentives that cause this to occur? Yeah. It's a huge question. Um, I mean, I think, I think one thing to point out, right, is certainly on social media, people might say, well, isn't this just about like who the good players are or something, right? And so what's really important is that our analysis actually controlled for um, points and rebounds, right? We, we accounted for on-court production. And even when you hold Mm. those things equal, you see a massive like gap between the media coverage that white players are getting and that black players are getting. Um, And so, you know, I think what that represents is the just white centering, right, of our whole world, um, even in sports. Um, And it's super important because the way that, you know, media attention gets played into other things like sponsorships and endorsement deals and, right, it like becomes, um, I think maybe what you're getting at, right, is like it becomes a pay equity issue too, right? This this media attention transcends. It's not just about whose name gets said. Um, It becomes part of all these other equations and feeds into systems. Yeah. The thing that I keep thinking is like, if I am like a low level person in the PR department for the WNBA, right. And I have like certain accounts that I'm working on and based on the success of those accounts, like I will either continue my job or be fired. um, I am incentivized to go to, to row in the direction that the boat is heading. Right. How do we disentangle those things so that there is a more equitable covering of players in the W that more accurately reflects their accomplishments and success within the league, while also like somehow incentivizing this on like the granular level, like the people who are directly engaged in like this actual coverage? Yeah, I mean, I I think right in your example of this WNBA, you know, employee or whatever, one of the things that's actually really interesting is that we also measured what was happening in WNBA press releases. And there was no racial bias to speak of in that coverage, right? So the press releases that the league is putting out is basically race neutral as much as, you know, anything is race neutral. I maybe hesitate to say those words, but, um, you know, in fact, the only thing that determined who got mentions in the WNBA press releases were offensive players. The more points you scored, the more media mentions you got. Maybe defensive players want to pick a, pick a bone with the league on that. That's cool. Uh, but, you know... But but I think it goes to show that, like, this doesn't have to be the way that it is. Like, if we report coverage based on what's actually happening on the court, we can have more racially equitable coverage. She is a research fellow with the Laboratory for Inclusion and Diversity at UMass's Eisenberg School of Management. 
You can read more about her team's findings in the Sports Business Journal. Risa, thank you so much for joining yes, us. Yes, Risa. Thanks so much. All right, all right, all right. You know what that sound means. Come on, don't act like this is your first week. It's time for Buzzer Beaters, baby, where we talk stories we didn't cover in the show because of time. So I'm going to get this party started. And for my Buzzer Beater, I interviewed the incredible playwright Antoinette Wandu. Her play Passover is on Broadway right now, August Wilson Theater. Check it out. We're going to play a little snippet here, but look out for the full interview later this week. You said people from Nigeria and around the country have reached out to you about this play. What is it about the Black experience that's so universal? I'm going to do you one better. Because <laughs> I, 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 I believe that this play tells a story through the lens of the Black experience. But it is for everyone. I'm telling you, Renee, in my DMs, young people from, I don't remember the name of the university, I think it was Ibadan University in Nigeria, saying, this is us. Wow. And they're all Black. So some of, they're saying some of them are the misters and some of them are like Moses and Kitch. Mm. They, and one no white people in Nekla. So I'm like, okay, that's deep. Now, 2017, when I, when we did this play at Steppenwolf, an older gentleman who saw the title of the play, he was Jewish, He thought the play was about Jewish people. Mm -hmm. This man was in his 90s. He showed up to watch the play, but he was like, it took me so much effort to get here. I'm old. I might as well just stay and watch it, even though it's not what I thought it was about. Right. This man called me up afterwards. He told me that he is alive today. This was back in 2017. He said he was alive because when he was a child, his family escaped the Holocaust. Wow. And he looked at me and he said, you told my story. He said, Moses and Kitsch, that's me. He said, the word ghetto is a Yiddish word. Ghettos were created in the Holocaust because it was about, we need to round these people up and put them somewhere where they don't bother us. And that's where Moses and Kitsch are. They're in a place where you put them somewhere and they can't bother us. So when I say this is a human story, wow, the people who are low saying we're not going to be low no more. And who are the characters that I'm using to tell this human story? <laughs> Black people. <laughs> I love you, Antoinette! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love Listen, I'm t- spirit first. I love it. Uh, my buzzer beer is going to be uh, contact tracing here in California. The state is allowed to use your phone if you opt into the program to use Bluetooth to tell you if you have been around someone who has then uh, tested positive for COVID-19, the novel coronavirus. Uh, and I regret to inform you that I have been exposed. No. The, the contact tracing program told me that I was exposed on Monday at the sh- Likely at the Shang-Chi premiere where I attended in shorts and slides you by accident. If you want to hear more about if you want to hear more about that story, please uh subscribe to the X-ray Vision podcast dropping soon. I'll I tell the whole story in the first episode. But uh, I've been in this room, this office, since Friday. I go out, like I go out, but I wear my mask when I go out into the rest of the house. 
Uh, and I just feel tremendously fortunate that one, I feel fine. Again, it was like last Monday. And so I, one test has been negative. I'm waiting the second test. And two, just the fact that I'm able to do my, like, I am, I feel very fortunate that I am in the position where I can just do my job from here. Yes, it sucks to like sleep on a cot in my very own office, but I feel very fortunate that I'm able to, uh, to, to continue to do my work. And uh, please, everyone, if you have not yet received your vaccination, go get vaccinated. Well, I have a question, though, just Jason. What's, um, what's X-ray yeah. vision about? Like, just like, just if you could give me a little. X-ray vision is, X-ray vision is a podcast about nerd culture and all the kind of stories and things, whether it be TV shows, comic books, movies uh, that go on in nerd culture, where you're going to be talking about uh, the Disney Plus shows as as Disney and Marvel kind of make their transition into phase four. Uh, episode two, we're going to be talking about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. We're going to talk about Why the Last Man. We're going to be talking about... A lot of stuff of that LP of fun guests and stuff. My I can't son wait for is going to be subscribing. I can already t- from everything <laughs> from everything you just said. Shouts to my son Junior. I know he'll be listening to X Ray Vision for sure. <laughs> Tell him Shang Chi was great. Go see it. <laughs> Done. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever yep. you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode and new original video content. Plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. We're in hiatus right now, but still check it out. Folks, see you next week. Let's go! Woo! Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Missouri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. <laughs>